Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome along to the Rocky Road podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Byrne, and today we are joined by Ireland's top-rated professional heavyweight, Niall Kennedy. At the age of 37, Niall intends to have one last crack at glory in 2022. The popular gory man has been a pro for seven years now, and his 17 bouts to date have taken place in four different countries. He started out in Ireland and last fought in Belgium. A career high occurred in the United States, while there was a low on his last visit to the United Kingdom. He trains under Pascal Collins at the Celtic Warrior Gym or Madhouse in Dublin and has a full life outside of boxing too, as a father, a Garda and a mental health campaigner. Niall, welcome to the show. Is there life in the old dog yet? I hope so, Kev, I hope so. Um, Happy New Year to you all as well and thanks a million for having me on. You're very welcome. It's it's always been an intention to have you on and you've got such a great story and you're such a great ambassador for the various things you represent and uh, delighted to have you. So thank you very much. No, it's been brilliant. Thanks a million. And, and, and to answer your question, I suppose, yeah, I, I believe there's life in the dog game. Yeah. Hopefully it has to come out soon, though. I can't keep waiting for it to go on. But um, this year, this year, look, the likelihood of it is 2022 will be my last year of boxing. But I wanted to go out, I want to go out on that. Uh, whether it's on a high or a high performance, I don't mind. I just want to, to show everyone the effort and the work I've been putting in over the last seven years, I suppose, really. And uh, be happy, be happy with my own performances. Mm. What was the intention starting out? Like you were, you know, coming into your 30s at the time, a long career in the amateurs, you know, fought at a high level. But you, you went pro. You can go pro old, older as a as a heavyweight because that's when the, the man strength and all that kind of comes into play. What were the intentions starting out? Look, um, I turned pro. Uh, you you would have known me very well as an amateur. I felt that I'd had two or three fairly unlucky years as an amateur. And then injury and silly things. But look, these things happen. These things are sent to test you as well. So, um, I decided with the support of my wife in 2015, I built up a very good relationship with Haskell. And I said to me, will I pack this in or will I contact Haskell? And she says, she look, don't have no regrets. So we got in contact with Haskell and he was able to get me a deal in America. But 
that all came sort of down the line that my dream at the start, believe it or not, was to sort of similar to now, similar to now, I didn't want to leave boxing with regrets. And I knew if I retired after finishing my amateur career in, in 2015, I think it was, um, I'd had massive regrets. I, I was, look, it's, it's fairly well known. I, I suffered mental health, but I would have drank to excess as a chap. And I know for a fact that I, I'm not saying I let anybody down because the only person you let down in Boston is yourself. But I let, I definitely disappointed my amateur club and my best friends and door like uncles and father figures and brothers to me. And uh, I sort of always held that in my heart that I was, if this is to be the last hurrah, I wanted to, I want the lads to turn around and to be proud and to be happy of. Look, I joined Gory Boston Club at seven years of age. I'm at this 30 years, and I just wanted the people that know me best and love me that, to turn around and say, you know what, he emptied the tank. And that's that's all I ever wanted to want to boxing with him. Like you started boxing so young, you have to be so notoriously dedicated. Young boxers, as we know, miss Christmas every year because the championships take place in January, February, March. Um, I'm sure you made sacrifices as a teenager, but at what at what age did you start to slip and kind of go into drinking? And what age did that culture start to take over? And um, this, I suppose, this is probably similar for everyone. But I was, I was okay at a lot of sports, I'm brilliant at none. But I was, I was a handy Gaelic footballer. I was a handy hurler, a handy soccer player. So. Unfortunately, when you're good at sport that young, it's changed a lot now. Life has changed a lot now. I mean, talking about the, the 90s and the early 2000s, but I would have been playing adult sport from the age of 14 and 15 and 16 years of age. So you ended up interacting with adults a lot and money wasn't as slavulak as it is now. So you had part-time jobs and the part-time job I had was in the public house. So I had easy access to drink from the body of age and um, it just became the norm. We were looked at, uh, myself and my best friend in the past way, God rest him. We, we, were, we were looked at as men about 16 years of age. And, you know, so that led us down that path. And, I found with boxing, I was, look, not being rude to anyone in Leinster or anything, but I was getting out of Leinster always fairly easily. And then I was falling short in the All-Irelands and I was doing a big whinge and why I'd fall short. The reason I was falling short is I wasn't putting the effort in. Um, I was hurling training, football training, boxing training. I was probably drinking two nights a week as well as a 15 and 16 year old. Like, so it's me on that fall really, unfortunately. Would it have been like uh, cans in the field, or I suppose like you're a big man, like and you're playing prof- you're, I was gonna say professional sport, but you're playing adult senior sport. You would have been probably in the pub getting a few points as well at that age, and it's as much of a badge of honor. How many points did you kick, or how many wins did you pick up in boxing? As how many points can you hold at that age? Like, oh, he's grand. Not a bother on him. Six, eight points. He's grand. Yeah, and look, and we're very lucky. Things have changed. Society has changed now. If you go to a gym, um, from you won't get into it from three o'clock to seven o'clock because it's full of school kids, like which is brilliant. But things were de- different in Gory back in 
the early 2000s or late 90s, there was no genes, there was no man. And look, that's, that's what happened. I'd only great and we had a fantastic, I had a fantastic childhood, I had a brilliant teenage years. I, I love where I'm from, I'm very proud of being where I'm from. It would have been a very hard work in the state. Had very little money, but Willow Park, all the people in it would be very close. Like, you know, we'd be very proud of where we come from. So, very we, we were told as uh, teenagers that the gym stunts your growth, but it didn't stop us smoking at the same time. Yeah. I, I only had that conversation with someone the other day about the gym stunts your growth and stuff like that. It's crazy the stuff, the meats that we laid. And you, you mentioned that this badge of honor, like if you could drink 10 pints at 16 years of age, like it was, why well, we were doing unbelievable, like, you know. A legend, yeah, a legend. Mad. And you, you quickly saw um, in the intervening year, you saw in the years that followed that there was a damage to this and probably that realization came to you quicker than it does for most. Do you know what? I, I, I should have, but I didn't. I, I'd say I'm still... I still struggle with it. I still um, fight that battle every day, but I, no, I didn't. I, I lost my friend at 19 and chose suicide. Um, and it's, it's something that not haunts me. I, I, I can't change the situation, but it's something I've dealt with every day since. And to be honest with you, drink was a massive part of that. And it was, even though I was aware it was a massive part, it was a massive part. I tried to cope with it as well, which was mm. wrong. Do you mean it was a massive part of the events that led to your friend's person? Yeah, yeah, it was. A, well, look, he, he, he suffered fairly badly with depression. And I can talk openly about suffering. I'm bipolar, so I can talk openly about being bipolar to you. But in 2000, 2001 and two, no, nobody was that proud of having mental health issues. Nobody wanted to be having this conversation. So, um, Bulger, my best friend, God rest him, he, he, he struggled and I never forget him at, he's, him saying to me on a number of occasions, I'm worried I'm not to do something. Like, and my reaction was poor to that as well, even though you did, like, geez, he just slept in the bed with me, he was even beside me, I made sure he was safe at the time. Once he was safe for that night, you forgot about it. You know, you never got the help that he needed. And, mm. You know, there's massive regrets. Could I change it? I don't believe so. Um, unfortunately, he, he had, he, he suffered in his way and, and was always going to probably end in a bad way. But I, I definitely, I wish I had the knowledge now and I wish people were as open now as they were. I wish people were as open then as they are now in relation to it, you know, so. Yeah, there was a stigma about it back then. I remember going to college and my friends uh, in UCD came from Bunclody. And yeah. Bunclody lost numerous young people around their generation. And around, around, that's, that there was a clatter, there was about nine people in Northwest around that time. Yeah. I, I know, I knew the couple of chaps from O'Clory that I do as well because I played JA against them. They were, they were great lads as well. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Yeah, it sent shockwaves, but I don't think even at the time I truly engaged with what was going on or fully, or fully understood. Probably don't to, don't to this day. Um, but I guess it's a, it's a positive that we're trying to actually understand and trying to discuss it now, or even all these years later. Yeah, no, it isn't it, and it's a very important conversation to have. Like everyone, everyone that listens to this show will think about what we're saying completely different. Every, everyone has different things going on in between their ears. So, if they, if this helps one person, brilliant. If it helps nobody, at least they'll have the knowledge of having a conversation and help you. Like you know. So. Did um, losing your friend trigger your bipolar disorder or was it something that you were already living with? I wasn't aware of it, but looking back on, looking back on my, I suppose on my life, I suppose from an early, from 11, I suppose to now, it's something I probably have always had, but I wasn't aware of. Um, it, it definitely triggered. But I didn't get a proper diagnosis to that to how well I like the mad thing about it is that my height of depression and bipolar as well, but I wasn't aware of the name of the thing. I, I still managed to lag me way into the guards. I still managed to at twenty three years of age buy my own house. I was driving my own car. You know, so I still to the outside world I was doing all right. Absolutely inside, like. Mm. Did the um did Keith Earls telling his story uh, in his recent book and then also on the late late show and in various media appearances about his bi- his battle with bipolar disorder? Did that resonate with you? He said he had his first panic attack following the death of his cousin at the age of twelve. I think his cousin was nineteen. He was killed in a car crash, and that's when Keith Earls realised he had a battle on his hands. Did it? Did you did you pay attention to his story being told? I, I've meant to get his book and I've meant to read up on it. I've heard loads of it and I'm so I'm delighted he's come out with such a high profile figure. Mm. Um, but it's sorry, but I actually haven't, 
I didn't want to start listening to her have to go away and not listen to her fully, so I want I want to buy this book and read it. But it's the likes of key hours and twenty people might listen to this. It's Niall Kendi, you know, just from a lot of art and glory, but key hours coming out and being so honest and open about these are the people that would save lives and I hope he's aware of how massive what he what he has done for other people's lives and it's insane that you know he will make the difference to so many households, so many children, so many young adults struggling in their life. You know, it's it's and it's scary and I, I didn't see his interview. But when you're in the depths of this it's scary. It really is scary. It just talks about shaking, trembling, and the panic attack started. And I think this is as a young man, like a young kid. I didn't know what was happening. I genuinely thought I was going to die. Did you? Did you suffer with panic attacks before you realised what was what was going on? No, I believe or not, to, to my knowledge, I've only ever had one panic attack, and I'd say we'll end up talking about that in a while. But um, no, my my thing was. I was very lucky, and um, like I said, I I managed to achieve. But I I couldn't understand even at 16, 17 years of age. Like with bipolar, one of the things you struggle with is that you can't, you don't have a filter. So things are either amazing or they're broken. And I was struggling to find the, the middle ground. So if we win a match, I couldn't understand how these grown men would be able to go for a pint and be happy and laughing and singing in a pub. I want I would want to kill everyone around me because I'd be that night over losing. I struggled badly with it, like my laws were so low and that went on into my twenties, that went on even when I was in the guards and then I, I was very lucky an ex partner I had noticed that she made me go to a doctor. But unfortunately the first doctor I went to wasn't my own doctor because I was so embarrassed to go to my own doctor believe it or not. And the first doctor I went to was was poor, very, very poor, and literally put out, I think they put out four pints of water on the table in front of me and told me to drink the four. Then I was halfway down the first pint, and I said, I can't drink anymore. I mean, the doctor more or less turned around and told me I wasn't suffering from depression, I was an alcoholic. So... That was, that drove me back about two years, I suppose, in, in getting myself right because I didn't, I didn't trust doctors then. I walked away from it in a bad way then. And I just avoided everyone. I was very lucky. My sister spotted um, the downward spiral and my own doctor had spotted it. He'd be a close family friend, Brian O'Doherty. He saved my life by very openly say he's a great man. Well he spotted her and, and he he got me the help I needed as quick as I could, thank God. Mm. You'll come to see it when you read Earl's book, but he talks about um Jim Carrey's character has a split personality. So I suppose he's talking about the movie Me, Myself and Irene. And uh, it's a character, Josh Taylor, the the undisputed world uh, like like welterweight champion calls himself his angry side. But this is kind of Earl's and it's a bit more serious. He says Hank is there in his head and he's the other side. He's the negative thoughts and he's there since he's 12 years old. And he's just kind of dragging him down all the time, doesn't want him to be happy, makes him think negatively. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Yeah, yeah. And the mad thing once you're diagnosed with, that's a bad way of saying it, the mad thing, but 
the thing once you once you have your diagnosis, and what I want people to be aware of is that KRL's is doing brilliant, but he still has his daily battles, and it's like myself. I still have, I still have shit days. I still wake up and feel desperate bad, but I just have the the coping mechanisms, medication, that that filter that out that I'm able to find. Like I still have those bad days, but thank God that. I'm able to cope with it and find the middle ground where I'm able to filter it out now. And I'm sure key ours is the same. But unfortunately, yeah, that those hank moments. That a lot of people would say, Oh, if you had them once a year or twice a year, probably like I, I could honestly say to those hank moments, I I probably had two of them today already, do you know what I mean? Did they last long? No, you, you have to you have to move it off. You have to you have to put it to a place, you know it's not real, you know that there's no need for it. You look around yourself, you see how happy, how good things are. You have to appreciate what you have as opposed to these bad moments. It's, it's your head playing tricks on you. So. I suppose that's where kind of the positive outlets come in. Like, you know, you're a father to young MJ. Um, you've done, you've managed to turn um your experiences into a positive as a member of Angarda Shia Khan and you do great work in, in mental health as well. And I suppose boxing kind of cleaves off the rest of some of the rest of the energy as well. So it's great to have, um, I'm sure that's one of the reasons you're keeping going in boxing as well, because it's a, it's an important part of your life as well to, as a coping mechanism. I know Tyson Fury, didn't he talk about when his mental health suffered when he was in the gym, uh, sparring and, and training regularly. That kept them on the straight and narrow. Would would there be any correlation there with you? Yeah, and and I won't like it. There's a fear. There's a fear attached to giving up because where will that? that this has been a huge part of my life since I was seven years of age, and so where does that go? But I, I'll find an avenue for it as well. Whether it's getting involved in training kids, whether it's involved in doing something, training or passing on knowledge in some way, shape or form or do it. But yeah, it's it's right now, that's a scary thing and, and it's probably what I honestly feel I still have something to give boxing and I'm not hanging around just for the sake of it. I really do believe I, I have something to give boxing and I really do believe that I haven't shown my true potential. But um Tyson's not lying there. Boxing, boxing is the one. It, it's the stable thing in your mind when it's the one thing that you know when you get into the ring. You're going to get hit. You want it. It's very like boxing is very simple. It's very we know exactly what's going to happen as opposed to how we're dealing with our emotions. It's mm. like um. Have you found your professional career so far? You've obviously, I said in the intro, you've boxed in four different countries. You've enjoyed big success in the States. You know, you've become a popular attraction over there, made made some great friends for life, I'm sure, as well. And beating Alexis Santos at Foxwoods Resort uh, on the 15th of September 2017. That has to be a career high point for you. Yeah, it was. It was, it was definitely a high point because people would know that. My little man, Enjo, was born on the 8th of August that year. He was uh, three months premature, so he was in he was in hospital at the time of that fight. And I'd said it to me that 
do you want me to pull out of this? And she just said, no, you look, you need to keep your head busy, stay in this fight door for MJ. And it was the, it's probably the most galvanized I've ever been in a contest. And the magnitude of that fight never got to me. I didn't realize it was a headline of a card in Foxwoods Casino. I thought it was like going down and fighting in the, the hall of Amber Strings Hotel or something like that. I, I didn't realize how big this resort was. And when I got there then, it started to put my head back a tiny bit. But to be honest with you, MJ at the time was my sole concern. Not one thing for myself, not one thing. And it turned out to be the best I ever was mentally going into a fight. You know, and I'll never forget. Um, rounds one, two, three, four went really well. And then I started to dip in five. Uh, he definitely won five, seven, I think. And I remember at the end of the seventh round, Pascal was saying something in the corner, somewhere along the lines of, are you going to let this fight walk away from me? Your son's at home fighting the battlefield. You don't want to walk away from this. And then it was like, it was like the lightning bolt up the arse. And I went back out and eight, nine, ten, absolutely cruised. And I, it was a fight that I, I didn't feel I could possibly lose, even though I was a massive underdog, you know. But, and that's purely because of MJ, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it sounds like you drew a lot of strength from that. Um, and it's a, it's a moment. Do you still think about that moment? I mean, because if it is to be the high point of your career, and I know you're determined to win more and uh, have more big achievements in the future, you know, you're not ready to give up the coast just yet, that's for sure. And there's life in the old dog. But if that's to be it, are you, are you satisfied? No, no, I'm not satisfied. I'm definitely not satisfied because it'll be very disappointing if, if, if my head wins the battle and beats me to the performances. Like that's that's probably the only fight in my life that I was in control of my emotions. And so I don't want that. I want to be able to show like mere winning things is amazing and people they, they, yeah, yeah right, there's no greater feeling of getting hand raised in the boxing ring. But to be honest with you, I'm not chasing titles, I'm not chasing I'm chasing performances now. I just want to be really happy. If I got beaten no, no, I have boxed to the top of my ability. Mm. I have emptied the tank. I'd be very happy. So. How is it that you get there then? Um, because you do have a busy life, you know, full time in the guards. Uh, it's a pandemic. Everyone's busy. Everyone's short staffed. People are coming down with COVID. Close contacts, left, right, and center. Like, how how busy are you in your professional life there? Yeah, look, work has been hard and, and COVID has been a massive stress on, on the country. I'm very lucky I've had to, I've been able to work, which gives you a bit of reality the whole way through it. But um, it is hard. Look, there's, it's, I'm not able to train. I'm not training my Pascal at the minute. Um, I've had to just financially because what a lot of people don't realize is unless you're the Mikey Connors, the Tyson Fiori's and these like the, there's not a lot of money in professional boxing and at my level you have to fund your driving up and down you have to fund your own camps and I've had three fights in three years so I have had the last fight I made nothing I lost a lot of money on and then the fights before that like you, you're only paying for your camps really and truly so I just with a young family 
I can't afford to be getting up and down to pass at the moment. So I agreed, okay, back to Rory Boxing Club. Um, I'm training with the club at home. And, you know what? I'm, tra- I'm not saying I was always training with a smile and Pascal. I absolutely love the place. And I'll always go back up to Pascal because we've, we've a great relationship. He's a very good friend. He's a, a great mentor. And I, I love Spike. He's like a brother. I love Steve. And we just had great crack in the gym. But right now, I, I can't. I can't financially put myself through the stress of it, so I'm back training at home, and it's nice, you know. I, I I'm looking at the walls I first looked at seven years of age, and it's brilliant. Like, and if a kid in the club picks up something about how hard you're working or doing something, it's great too. So, for the foreseeable, I'll be basing myself on Rory Boxing Club, and I'm sure Pascal will still be helping me as well. But it's back home at the moment. Yeah, um, and. Your work as a frontline uh, worker was recognised last year by the WBC. You were named a hero of the world. Yeah, Louis. must have been a, sp- a special moment, like. Yeah, special that that more that doesn't manage me or promote me actually nominated me for that. And um, Louis de Bella nominated me for that award and passed it. So that was a massive, like it was a massive honour. Um, I boxed that. I beat Santos. Louis de Bella just signed Santos when I beat him. Um, Santos was being lined up to beat Joshua's first fight in America and I was a warm-up, I was a, a keep busy fight for Santos and that derailed that so with Louis de Bella, what, what a gentleman, He's, he was so kind to me after he was now, he wasn't kind straight after, he was very annoyed that Santos <laughs> We, he's kept in contact. He'd send me messages the other time on Twitter and just what a gentleman. That's like you talk about the, the highs and lows of boxing. The people that I've met in boxing, like Kevin McBride, an idol of mine, the man that met Mike Tyson, my class as a friend, and you know, Mickey Ward. You're looking at these films, the fire on telly and stuff. The next thing you're sitting down having a cup of tea with Mickey Ward in Boston. And, you know, it's, it's surreal. It's mad. I probably won't truly appreciate how long we can have finished this. But. Yeah. I suppose, though, as we look ahead to future opponents, um, I just want to play this bit of a tape. You called out uh, you called out Kevin McBride in the past. I'm just going to play this bit of tape here. That's funny. Stop him. This is, I'm told this is fully legit now, okay? I can promise you it's not. Listen to the accent. Big night, Andy. Team Boom Boom. I've just Paddy McClava York on my face, you might be wondering. I have my face because I'm back home with the girl that's in the corner. This video, this DVD, is going out to Kevin McBride. We had a few words in the poem last night. You know and I know, I'm the best heavyweight ever come out of Ireland. Kevin, I'm fighting tonight on the house of blows. But believe me, I'd be ready with you. Sunday morning, tomorrow morning, I'll meet you out the back of Dorset Hall. We'll get it on by. They're making out to me the battle of the bellies. But my belly is gone by. I have abs now. You understand that? And I'll bet you back to where you come from. You'll never bet me by. Let's get it on by. Team Boom Boom. McBride, you might beat Tyson. But you won't bet me by. I'm the best there was. The best there ever will be. 
never bet in me life, never will be bet. And you'll be no different. You're going down, you big bowsy. Go on now, take off the camera vice. Get out my face now. I'm getting back to jazz. Come on, come on away from me. Come away, away from me, vice. Oh, come on. That's why Carl Sullivan is the greatest fucking messer God ever put brain. Yeah, um, are you sure? Because he told he sent it to me and he assured me that, that was you, even though he couldn't see it because you had a bag over your head. He assured me that you made that video. Call well, him Kevin McBride, like he's a bit old for fighting at this stage. It'd be the Pascal Derby. Yeah, he he was coming back to fight in Amanda Holyfield last year yeah. and said, it. Thank God I would hate to see Kevin fighting you. Yeah. But yeah, look at the size of that hoodie and spike even the huge. He's a clown. <laughs> I didn't know. He sent me a message. I said, me and Spike will be, we'll be in contact every week. And I, I love the man. He's hilarious. And he nearly had to be bet out of the hotel at my wedding. He, he was, he stayed longer at my wedding than I did. I think he's still on the But um, he, he sent me that video yesterday. And I had no idea what he was on it, but I do now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm sure you missed the kind of the camaraderie of the gym while you're training down there in Gory, uh, and and maybe one day you'll make it back up for uh, a big fight later on this year. Yeah, hopefully. And look, it, please God, I do feel that there's still a big fight in me. I um, I I won't lie to you. I think inactivity has been a massive, massive, massive downfall. Like if I was to go through, everyone has excuses. If I'm not making an excuse, but. I was going through um, my losses, like I, I lost to Devin Vargas. I suffered a, a weird injury, but a loss is a loss. And then I was out of the ring for over a year because of, well, because of no fights, but I'd, I'd also I'd get surgery on my back. And then I had, what was my next week back then? After Vargas, it was Babich. Yeah, so I, I've been out of the ring for 16 months before I fought Alan Babich. And I didn't want to talk about there, but the only time in my life I ever had a panic attack that was before the Alan Babich fight. And I've never had one before in my life. And thank God it. I, I was on the way to have him on in March in Belgium as well. Even though I knew the opponent wasn't someone that I needed to worry about or anything like that, but I, yeah, I, I felt it coming on. But the thing about March and the thing about the Babbage fight was in March, Spike and all were there. I was able to distract myself from for the Alan Babbage fight. What people want to understand is that myself and Pascal were in a hotel for five days on our own, just the two of us. For the first 24 hours, we were isolating in the room and it was in the MK Don Stadium and we had the third floor of the hotel that surrounds MK Dons and we literally could walk the third floor and that was it. And we had an hour a day to train and so you literally got up in the morning, you got your breakfast, you went back to your room and walked around the hotel. You got your lunch, you went back to your room and walked around the hotel. You look forward to doing a little bit of pads or bag work. And then you tried to tidy in the evening. And I lost that fight in my head, to be honest with you. And 
It was a horrible experience. It's the only time I ever had one. And I remember walking to the ring. And it was like I was looking at myself walking to the ring. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, is this nerves or what it is? And then I got in through the ropes. I remember walking down the room and I in through the ropes. And the biggest concern I had was fall. So I got in through the ropes and I tried to jig myself about a bit. Then I, I remember, like, you would normally head from an amateur, even and my defense wasn't too bad. Mm. If you looked at the start of that fight, I, I take a lot of silly shots. Part of my plan there was to try and wake myself up. I didn't really have massive powers. Lord, he's a ferocious man. Really good, a really good fella, Aaron, But he didn't have power, and, and I was hoping he would wake me up with one of the shots because I just fell it in a daze, and yeah, that was it. Then the referee jumped in. I don't, look, I don't believe I should have been stopped. I definitely wasn't hurt, but the referee, if you look at Alan Babbage's last fight, like if, that, if the way he was hurt on the ropes was his opponent, they would be stopped straight away. Because the important thing with these big companies is to keep the keep the train on the tracks and, and his whole thing is this KO power and stopping people. Mm. That's what they done. The referee jumped in way too soon in my fight. Now from your point of view as a boxing journalist, I was doing nothing. I was offensively throwing nothing. I wasn't showing anything in the fight. The referee was probably right to stop it from that point of view. But I wasn't hurt. I wasn't. Yeah. You know, well, I suppose we do these podcasts to find out what you're thinking. Not what we see is one thing, but what you're thinking and what's going on inside can be completely different. And yeah. sometimes people can look like they're on fire on the outside, but inside they're quaking or inside they're falling apart. And that's, I suppose that's why we have these conversations because they can be so insightful and, you know, we're all human beings and even Alan Babich, I'm sure has his weak points or not his weak points, but he has his moments of doubt or he has, you know, Alan Babich could suffer panic attacks for all we know. And, no, uh, and looking back on it, like I, I thought it was strange. We, Chantel Cameron was on that show as well. And, um, I was seeing all the English fighters and Alan Babich and, and all these fighters coming in and they had friends with them and they had, Playstations and microwaves and their own food and all. And I just said, geez, this is a bit much, isn't it? But in hindsight, I should have paid a friend to take a week off work and come over with me. Someone to talk about football, someone to talk about hurling, someone to talk about anything. Yeah. You know, just to take my mind off it. But unfortunately, Hindsight is a great thing. Uh, that, that was a dark time at home as well, because I recall that weekend is the weekend. It was the last weekend you could kind of nearly socialize and they nearly locked down the country then ahead of, pre, ahead of Christmas. Yeah. Uh, that, that was an early weekend in October. And then October went quiet, November went quiet. And we opened up for a couple of weeks at Christmas, but it was a pretty dark time back home. And did it, um, when you went home, was it, was it difficult to get over that fight? That that fight, yeah, I I struggled with that. That was the main one of the main reasons I I want to bury that demon. I don't want to ever live with that. And I, really, I really do struggle with that fight all still. But um, sure, I hate about that time. I I have a nephew Paul. He's 
a great soccer player and great Kelly footballer. He actually got assaulted that night as well. I remember getting a phone call from him. I was back in the room after getting battered by Goddard. And you know yourself that I'm their big uncle and I get a phone call from one of my nephews saying that he's after being knocked out, sparked out on the street downtown as well and badly assaulted. So it was oh it's a weekend I'll never forget, unfortunately. But, um, one to put into the past one to put into yeah, the past and exactly, yeah. I want to talk to you just um, about the heavyweight scene maybe domestically the one that concerns you and also the international one like we we spoke about panic, panic attacks and it's something that people said Anthony Joshua might have had before he fought Andy Ruiz in New York he came out to the ring and he did not look right and we saw him get knocked out as someone who's got some experience of that and you know Anthony Joshua as well from being in sparring camps with him did did you look at that and think there was something off with him that night? Yeah, I, I thought I thought the way he was messing with his punches on the way to the ring was very strange. And and in the ring even before he was sort of slipping around and most professional fighters would have dentist made punches like and they wouldn't be easily messed around in your mouth. He was fizzling around his mouth the whole time before and I thought it was very odd and Looking back at it now, it was all the signs of a panic attack. I thought, I thought he was very nonchalant at the time, thinking maybe over it or wasn't. Like if, if you look, at, he's not that type of a person either. Um, and Joshua is one of the nicest people you'd ever meet, but one of the most professional. He, uh, I arrived in the gym, and I was I got picked up in the airport, brought straight to Sheffield gym, and. I was there. We were supposed to spar at one o'clock, so I was there at half eleven. And here was at me warming up and stretching and taping up his hands like he's that dedicated. Mm. So yeah, he definitely something definitely happened to him. And yeah, that's that's the way he's he's a human being as well, which you know, so he has these faults too. Do you think he's got what it takes to beat Usyk in a rematch and beat Tyson Fury? I guess that's what he hopes inside. I I always I remember talking to Rob McCracken when we were over in Sheffield's band that thing, and I always felt Tyson was the just the Achilles heel. I think the only person that can beat Tyson Fury is Tyson Fury. I think he's the only one that can do himself any harm. It's uh, whether he takes his eye off the ball, whether he his head's not in the game on the night maybe or something like that. But I just think he's he's how do you prepare for Tyson Fury? He's phenomenal. He's just got attributes that nobody else in the world has. But um, and then so yeah, I think the Tyson Fury fight is a very hard fight for everybody. Well, I do believe he fought the one million percent the wrong fight against Alexander Usyk. And Usyk is the is it is he's like the Matrix. So mm. why do you go dancing with a dance partner? Do you know what I mean? He should have tried to impose his will, his power. He should have walked him down and look if he to look really bad for five, six rounds, grand, just wear him out and then absolutely take the head off his shoulders. That would have been the plan I'd have had. Um, I was very surprised. I, I was very surprised that 
I thought I thought his corner were poor in the sense that they didn't stop and turn around. At some point in the fight, like it happened to me in the round in round seven of the Santos fight, in some in some point in the fight you're trying to ask the turnaround say, Hop on, you need to go now, like you need to do this. And that never seemed to I'm not saying panic, but the need to switch you on. And that never seemed to happen in the Joshua Corner versus Usyk. And I don't know what they were looking at if they were seeing something completely different, but I, I felt he was getting fairly easily beaten. So mm. Yeah, and I, I thought he would be from I I never thought he'd fight Usyk. I never thought it was a fight he could win. And uh, I suppose so it proved. It's a fight you could potentially win in a rematch now that he knows a bit more about Usyk. But then again, Usyk knows a lot more about him as well. And if he if he is to beat him at all, he has to, I suppose, just in my oh. view, do a, do a bit of what Fury did to Wilder in the second fight. Just absolutely, you know, maul him. Try and break his shoulder. Like, try and really hurt his neck. Stand on his feet. You're bigger, you're stronger. It's difficult yeah. to be wrestled by a man who's three or four stone heavier than you. And uh, this coming in like trying to outbox Alexander Usyk is it's insane, Crazy. absolutely insane. Yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a four thousand meter runner coming in after doing a, a year of sprints and taking on Usain Bolt. Like it was just it was crazy. It was stupid. To be honest. Yeah. Now be, before we go, and it's been a fantastic chat, Noel. Uh, even better than I would have hoped for. Um, let's talk about you. Like, you can't uh, can't let it go without kind of maybe talking about some of the other Irish heavyweights. You've already been replaced in Pascal Collins' gym by Thomas Carty. He's going over to Anthony Joshua's gym now, doing those spars, and he's the heavyweight now up in Pascal's gym. And um, what do you make of him? What do you make of his uh, potential and his future prospects? And also, is it a fight you take? Oh, it's a fight I take down. I'd rather never, to be honest with you. Mm. But- I know Thomas, he's helped me since 2015. And um, I definitely wouldn't shy away from the fight, but it's not a fight I'd be interested in if you get me to. We're at two different stages of our career. And I think he has phenomenal potential. And um, he's from really good people. His mom and dad are great people. His little brother is a young gentleman as well. So you now they're a good family. And he can he can empty the tank into it, you know. He he doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have a mortgage, he doesn't have kids, so he can he can fully dedicate himself to go for it. He doesn't have a full time job, so there's no roof to the potential of what he can do and he has the ability to do everything. So I wish him the very best to look. I think he's he's a good lad, he's a smart fella. And yeah, he, the, there's no real ceiling on, on where he, how, how good he can become. Like he's been one of the best trainers in Irish boxing in Pascal, who will direct him the best way possible and advise him. But Thomas is a very strong-minded chap himself. He's very smart. He knows what he wants and he knows what he's going to get as well. So, and he's after teaming up with Dylan White's team. So, yeah, he's he's in a great place. He's probably in the most exciting place of all the Irish athletes, I suppose. And, then you have, I want to say about the, the number two ranked heavyweight in Ireland, Paddy Nevin. Yeah. I just, people wouldn't realize that Paddy Nevin is one of the 
nicest young man you would ever meet in your whole life. I would have zero interest in fighting Paddy Nevin. He's just the loveliest chap of all time. And we all have things to be proud of. I, I'm very proud. I was a referee on Paddy Nevin's um, application to get him to Angarda Shikana. So he, he's a he's a young man from the travelling community that has is breaking down boundaries. What he's doing, I've said it to him, like, Paddy, what you're doing, you don't realise what you're Like, he's changing generational things by doing what he's doing. Like, I'd say he's one of the first first members of the travelling community to be Gardaí, like, you know, and, and he's just the nicest and the greatest I don't know what spokesperson for the traveling. He's just such a nice fella, and his father's a gentleman. So, yeah. So there'll be no, there'll never be. A <laughs> so we're we're ticking off Irish heavyweights one by one. No to Thomas Carty. No to Paddy Nevin. It leaves one, one guy looking to make a comeback. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I, think I think he's calling me out. Yeah, uh, I mean the Garda versus Sean Turner. Like <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like. That, that would set out a crowd. And we're looking to get Irish boxing back in, in Ireland. Would you fight Turner if the if the correct opportunity came up? Of course, of course. Well, it'd have to make sense. Like, there's no point. What sense is there in me fighting Sean Turner where I'd sell, try and sell €3,000 worth of tickets to cover well, me account for the night? You know what I, mean? I so, suppose the, the sense is Irish title, get the performance that you're looking at in 2022. Bring a crowd, excite the crowd, give people a fight to remember. That's that's the simple the the layout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As you know, things in Boston aren't that simple. No, no. And um, I don't know, I don't know how how we're shaped up to have a fight like that between me and Sean, especially in Ireland, in the south of Ireland, mm. and. The injury, like that, that fight only has an interest in the South of Ireland. If you bring that to England, that means not. So, no, maybe if Sean's a free agent or something like that, yeah. Yeah, so that, mm. that fight, look, and, and I know Sean, look, he bet me in the senior final in 2013. We've sparred hundreds and hundreds of rounds. And it is what it is. We, we know each other very well. We've always had good relationships when we were amateurs and when we we're pros. So, if it happened, yeah, what about it? But it has to make sense, do you know. Like, I remember Pascal saying to me years ago, sorry, now I'm driving on, but no, not all good. There could be 10 heavyweights in England and they're all supporting each other. We have three in Ireland and we're trying to get them to fight each other, do you know what I mean? So, it's, I do understand, I think boxing to become relevant again in the Republic of Ireland, people have to start fighting people. But that has to be financially rewarding. That has to have it. Now, an Irish title on the line makes it very attractive then, all right? Yeah. Um, Previously held Kevin McBride and, and many, many a good name in the past. But yeah, Tyson is the last one to hold the ship. And, yeah, uh, 10 years ago, he beat Martin Rogan, yeah. Yeah. So, look, I, I'm that used to my name being talked about with Sean Turner. And believe it or not, my name was talked about with Martin Rogan about five years ago. And, I remember Martin had done an interview. I can't do college. I'm probably in Egypt, but I just can't do it. It's not in me makeup at all. Like, and yeah, so look, there's a, 
if the fight happens, if it makes sense, and if it's her son, this rewarding and it's something that I'm interested in, which it'd be great. I'd fight anyone of my to be honest with you, there's not a man alive I wouldn't fight, I'm not saying that as a hard man, but it's, I'm a boxer, like I, I there's no one in Ireland that I'd be afraid to fight. Has the uh East Coast of America, well, kind of run dry. There's a few Irish fighters over there making their name. We've seen Thomas O'Toole make yeah. an explosive start over there. Joe Ward is picking up some momentum. There's there's opportunities there for Irish fighters. Has that yeah. has that well run dry for you? You've you've been successful over there. I look, I have a massive following over there, and I'm very lucky over there. But I think COVID played havoc with that. It's an the contract to work with boxing, and and I fought three times in three years. I haven't fought in America since 2019. So, yeah, I wouldn't say the well has run dry and my phone is always on, they can always ring me. But it appears that COVID has probably hampered a lot of that for most Irish. Thomas O'Toole was born in America, so he's an American citizen, so he doesn't have to get a visa, a sports visa to go, where I had one and I never used it. I never got to use it. So right. I pay I, I a certain amount of money was paid for a sports visa and it was never used. I never got to fight on it. So and um, yeah, it's just it's the it's the stupid side of boxing people don't see. And um, what I will say about Thomas O'Toole is he, he is a lovely chap and I wish him the very best of luck. He's signed up to great people, he's with Ryan Roach and I know a couple of people involved with Vortex promotions, great people. So, look, I, I didn't see a lot of them as an amateur, but I believe, like, you know, what a way to make a statement on a matchroom shot for your second fight, bang, what a knockout. So, yeah, stuff of dreams for him, yeah. Yeah, and I, I'd imagine he's a shoe in for the Serrano fight now as well, so very best of luck. It's brilliant to see him. And yeah. I like that you, you mentioned Sean, Thomas, Pat, and I mentioned Paddy. Like, I wish every one of them the world success. Do you know what I mean? I hope they all achieve every dream they ever want. So, that there's a, there's no big grudgery with me if they are achieving it. Do you know, what's it to say about big grudgery? It's like holding a hot coal in your hand, hoping to burn someone else. So, yeah. <laughs> well, look, um, it's been, it's been an honor to talk to you for an hour here in Ireland. I'm, I'm sure our listeners have really enjoyed hearing your perspective and your story. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned here, if you don't fight again, you're still winning. But hopefully 2022 delivers you exactly what you want from, from the, the final year of boxing. You're a gentleman, Kevin. Thanks a million for taking the time. And I'm sorry for waffling. I waffled an awful lot. Not at all. Can not just, at all. It was, can, it was, I just, uh, um, can I mention a few sponsors, Kevin, just to add? Sorry you should, yeah. And I, I know you're working with the different mental health charities as well. So yeah. give us give us, um, give us us the full rundown. Yeah, so I... I Massive for these people that stuck by me since day one, more or less. So, Joe DeVito and Home Palace Casinos, and um, Wizzy, Wizzy Internet and Glory, Ballins Furniture and Glory, The Dinky Diner, and if anyone's ever in Courtown, kids are chips there, they're lovely. And then Cornell Thomas, it used to be Cornell's Tree Services, but he, he sold down to Cornell's Tree Services. But Cornell was always a very loyal and good friend. Legend, but, legend of the sport, yeah. yeah. And then Body Bro as well, and you you'd know him better from Angeli football, but Ben Brosnan has been phenomenal to me. He's he's given me gear since two thousand and sixteen, I think. And 
He's just a great person. He's still scoring points for Wexford. I see everyone yeah. goes on about Ross Munley at leash, but Ben Brosnan seems to me to be about 10 years uh, old. He's never he's stopping. Been, no, he's like Benjamin Button. He's gone <laughs> backwards, I think. But, um, yeah, a fantastic footballer, but a really, really, really good person and good for... He, he has a business in Gorey, but he's brilliant for North Wexford. He's a, he's, a, he's a great person. And then, just... I, I have a massive... Um, Massive part of my life is tied up into top com and, and headspace for It's a mental health awareness and suicide prevention hotline. And I'm fully aware, I'm fully aware of how important it is, especially in my own community. But not only that, if, if people are listening to this in Belfast, if people are listening to this in anywhere. And they need help. There's free fall numbers and um, that you can ring or just give it to you now. But they talk to Tom, they offer free counseling to anyone suffering and they offer lots of other services. There's a 24 hour talk line, like they say that. And they just, I've learned that. And, and although as bad as my depression was and as bad as my thoughts were at times, the best way to help yourself is to talk to someone. So if a small phone call can save your life, I just want everyone to know that you are important enough to make that phone call. Your life is too important to take. We have bad moments. Everyone has bad moments. But make sure you ring someone. Make sure you talk to someone. It's not your doctor. Pick up a phone, ring. I'll give you the mobile or the number for the 24-hour hotline. It's 0818. 303061 and that's top and Tom. It's based out of but it's a nationwide service, it's a registered charity. And just look, you are too important to make a decision that can't be turned back, unfortunately. Well said, Niall. Well said. And I really hope uh, people that are struggling will listen to the message and make that call. Brilliant. Thanks a million, you big gentleman. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Nile Kennedy, Ireland's number one heavyweight, for joining us today on the Rocky Road. Best of luck in 2022, and hopefully you go out of boxing with a bang. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 